Welcome, welcome, welcome. Welcome to the podcast. This is Peter from Australia and this is me rambling on about different topics just for a bit of fun. I was browsing through the internet the other day and I came across this astounding fact. 2014 Associated Press poll said that more Americans believe in Bigfoot than believe in the Big Bang. Um, That got me thinking. Bigfoot, Loch Ness Monster, ghosts, UFOs. With all the terrific cameras, digital cameras these days, and telephones and mobile phones that uh, uh, take fantastic photos, I thought, gee, I haven't seen any decent photos of any of these things. Uh, I wonder why. So I did a bit of browsing on the internet and uh, a bit of searching and came up with the the answer. Basic, Loch Ness Monster, no proof. Bigfoot, no proof. Ghosts, no proof. UFOs, no. It comes down to this. The only so-called proof of the Loch Ness Monster are a couple dodgy photos taken way back uh, when cameras were very cheap and poor quality. I've looked at the the ones that are the famous ones and like the the one that gets shown all the time is um, it just looks like a little toy with uh, in in a lake um, you know in in a puddle almost it's a uh, it's if you look at it you just think that's not real that's those waves around it if the Loch Ness monster was as big as it was claimed those waves that look like ripples would have been a meter high in a lake and they're sort of just going different places it's not like they're all you know there's a big storm and there's huge waves because they're they're just sort of ripples so it's ridiculous um bigfoot of course there is no existence um proof of existence of bigfoot at all um like the loch ness monster there have been countless studies lots of experts giving their opinions and again, it's it's famous for basically one video, which is obviously fate. Because if you watch the video, um, I'm sure you've seen it. It was back in, I think, the 70s. And so-called Bigfoot is walking along. Um, he looks around, sees the guy with the camera that's filming him. Doesn't react, just keeps on, casually keeps on walking into the forest. And that's all you see. He goes for about... I don't know, 10 seconds, 15 seconds or something. It's obviously a guy in a costume. Um, the uh, the fact that the if it was a some sort of a creature, not human, um, it would have reacted when it saw the guy filming. It wouldn't have just casually gone on about its business. It would have either stood and stared like a bear or something would, um, or run off or, or something. But it just continues on. You know, it's like, oh, it's no big deal, but it's ridiculous. I mean, come on. Uh, ghosts, well, I mean, there have been lots of photos over the years where people claim that they've taken photos of ghosts, but uh, from all the uh, expert opinion I've seen of of the photos, admittedly, I've, I haven't looked at every photo, but ones that have been well known over the years you'd look at them and you'd say well it's back in the days when it was film rather than digital uh yeah things strange things used to happen with film you know where a bit of a an, a photo would be somehow would show up on another photo stuff like that i i don't understand it myself i tried to understand by reading this technical um uh, essay that somebody had written about it all and uh i don't know it went straight over my head but 
basically is saying that, yeah, that used to happen. Um, and once cameras become digital and everybody's had smartphones that take fantastic photos, it's amazing how these things have suddenly stopped appearing. Uh, no decent photos of Loch Ness Monster or Bigfoot ghosts or even UFOs. I mean, the only uh, recent sort of photos of UFOs are lights in the sky type photos, which um, is all good and well. But when you think about it, if the UFO or flying saucer comes into our atmosphere and is flying around the Earth, why would it put on an outside light? It's not like a plane that puts it on. I mean, a plane puts it on not so it can see, but it, so it can be seen. Uh, you know, a big passenger jet putting on its front light, um, it doesn't do it so it can see more clearly because it, it doesn't make any difference to what they're looking at up there. But it means that other people can tell whether the plane is coming towards them or going away because you have the, the red light at the back and the white light at the front and, um, and then other planes can see there's a plane there and all that sort of stuff. Um, why on earth would a flying saucer have a big, fly, a big light shining on it? It just doesn't make sense, does it? Um, it's quite silly when you think about it, especially when uh, a lot of people claim that they're like saucers and they spin. Um, if they're spinning, or how can you ha how can you have one light staying still if it's spinning around? So anyway, it's it's just silly. Uh, it's not to say that I don't believe in UFOs. Uh, I'm sure there are uh, beings in in other worlds that um, can fly in flying saucers. Whether or not they've ever come to uh, the Earth, don't know. Um, I'd be very surprised. Can you imagine if people on Earth? built a flying saucer or a space shuttle uh, and flew it across the universe to another planet. You know, it takes so long to get there, admittedly, but say come up with some sort of new um, propulsion engine or something and, and managed to get to another planet within a couple of years, say outside this galaxy. And as it arrives there, it, it's sending back pictures that there is uh, some sort of beings there um, intelligent life well you'd land it there wouldn't you and and take close-up photos and all that sort of stuff you wouldn't turn it around and tell it to come back home which is always what they say these ufos do you know flying around uh, with their white light on and they shoot up into the sky and disappear what was the point of coming all this way and then just disappearing it really when you think about these things i mean it drives you crazy that that people can believe in them so much. But, I mean, it's not only Americans that believe in these things. Uh, Australians do. People over the world do. Um, it's, it is interesting, though. I mean, when it comes down to it, we'd all love there to be a Loch Ness Monster or a Bigfoot um, ghost. Not too sure about that. But uh, UFOs, yeah, yeah. I, I'm waiting for the day that a spaceship from another planet comes and lands and some sort of alien comes out. I mean, it might not be good for humans, but it might be. Who knows? But, uh, oh, you know, like I'd, I'd be watching the, the TV non-stop if it happened just to, you know, stare at a spaceship from another planet. It's amazing, though, that the all the spaceships that uh, have been described over the years, they're, they're either cigar-shaped or saucer-shaped, and that's about it. And then you look at... Uh, uh, all the movies like Star Wars and um, or any any aliens movies and stuff like that, none of them are, are saucer shaped or 
uh, cigar shaped. It's kind of weird. And, you know, they all have things hanging off them and all that sort of stuff. But anyway, I'm, go I'm rambling on, as I usually do. Uh, just with um, Ghost, it, it's it interesting that uh, the claim is that when people die, uh, they stay around as a ghost because they've got unfinished business. Uh, I don't know, some claim like that anyway. But uh, when you think about it, they're, they're unfinished business. Uh, does that mean their unfinished business is to rattle a chain, uh, bang a few things so they fall over, or um, walk quickly by somebody and then disappear? I mean, how is that something to... Um, something to do it's kind of weird and what also fascinates me is um, when ghosts die and they or when people die sorry and they come back as ghosts that their clothes die with them and their clothes come back as ghosts when you think about it if a person died and they came back as ghosts they wouldn't have any clothes on uh, oh, if they're good looking I wouldn't mind but um, yeah it's it's kind of strange that isn't it that the clothes have some sort of um, soul as well as the people so they come back and and, and who decides who's who's going to come back or not um, is is if you believe in God is does God say no you're not coming up to heaven you're going to haunt this abandoned house for the next 10 years or or something or other or for eternity or I don't know and what happens if if you're set to uh, haunt a, a house and then the house gets demolished to make way for apartments uh, do you just hang around and and then eventually when the apartments are built do you start haunting one of those or what would happen because you know it's not like they knock down a house and, and the next day there's a, a new apartment place you know it takes ages for these things to get built so um yeah i mean it's it is kind of weird uh when you think about it a lot of these things they don't really live up to uh thinking about too seriously i mean it doesn't I know that they make for great movies and stuff, but it doesn't sort of ring true when you sort of look at it more seriously. Uh, and the same goes for things like zombies. Um, what always fascinates me about zombie movies is that uh, we've all seen zombie movies now. It's not like it's something that's never happened before. And yet every time people shoot zombies and they shoot them in the body and the zombies keep coming at them and, and they're like shocked. Everybody knows you've got to shoot zombies in the head, isn't it? I mean, that's what's, what it's always been in the movies. That Surely that'd be the first place you'd shoot. And then if you shoot him in the head and they keep coming at you, then you worry. But otherwise, um, shoot him in the head first. Yeah, it's, it, it makes perfect sense to me. I mean, sometimes you might not be a very good shot, but hit him in the head. I mean, we all saw Shaun of the Dead and uh, uh, Simon Pegg ran around with a cricket bat and zombies in the head and that did the trick so uh yeah it's it's a strange world isn't it i mean i think in um oh i think it was belarus uh it's i think it was belarus it, it's a country like that anyway that was um uh is a very superstitious country and when the uh, coronavirus started and they wanted to do a lockdown the um head of the country i'm not sure it might be president might be king who knows uh that sort of thing is my big suit but anyway um he came up with the idea of well we'll scare people into uh staying into their in their houses and how did he do that well he had the policemen walk around and and put a sheet on them so they were ghosts that was the plan anyway and um no, nothing more than that just 
policemen walking around with a sheet over them and I assume they made noises. Uh, And so what happened? All the people came out to see what the police were doing and what they looked like and have a good laugh at the the police with the sheets on them. Totally against what was supposed to happen, of course. But anyway, uh, it just shows you that even intelligent people can make stupid decisions. Um, I mean, you could say that about Trump, couldn't you? But I would argue that he's not intelligent in the first place. So I think stupid people make even stupider decisions. So uh, anyway, let's get on. One other thing that I thought of just now is the Bermuda Triangle. Uh, I remember as a kid, there used to be a show called In Search Of. A few of you might remember it. I think uh, Leonard Nimoy, Nimoy, Nimoy. Anyway, Leonard Nimoy, Spock used to uh, do the voiceover and uh, oh we loved it as kids and stuff but uh, it's ridiculous to look back now but anyway uh, it's followed the the same format each each week Uh, show a few questionable videos or photos uh, lots of questions about could this be a UFO could this be how did it work all that sort of stuff and then at the end no answers um yeah, it was, it was good fun though, entertaining. Uh, but there used to be endless reports about the Bermuda Triangle, about these ships that had suddenly disappeared, uh, planes that had gone missing and everything. Well, uh, look, there were planes that went missing, especially going back to like the 40s. Um, and, uh, you know, there's famously four planes that went missing and a rescue plane went missing and, uh, you know, planes go missing or went missing around that age, you know, 1940s and stuff, all around the world. So, um, strangely enough, I, I, I did look up on, the, on Wikipedia and a few other sites and uh, just to see, you know whether aircraft fly over the Bermuda Triangle because that was one of the claims that used to always be made that you know people are so scared and uh, flying over there because instruments go crazy and and people crash and disappear and stuff uh, passenger planes have been flying over the Bermuda Triangle for years uh, I'm talking about the big passenger jets they, they fly into Bermuda or wherever it is again uh, they fly straight over the middle of it and there's never been one of those that's something weird has happened. Um, you know, there have been a few, a couple plane crashes or uh, mysterious, well, not even mysterious things, just plane crashes and stuff. Um, when you've got uh, small airlines that run in uh, third world countries, I suppose you'd call them, um, they're going to have crashes. It's unfortunate, but they don't usually have the maintenance and everything that the the better airlines use uh their planes are always very old and uh yeah eventually they have a crash and people's lives get lost and the same with shipping uh big ships uh, cargo ships and that go through the bermuda triangle all the time nothing's happened to any of those recently um there have been a couple little boats that have gone missing in the last 50 years or so um but that's about it uh there have been a few ships that have sunk in probably in stormy weather or or as we're talking about the planes that that um you know don't have the maintenance i'm sure it happens with boats as well so uh yeah the the weather gets a bit bad and they don't have the maintenance and 
they have leaky holes or whatever and yeah they, they, people drown and stuff but nothing out of the ordinary there um, considering how many boats and planes that would go through the Bermuda Triangle these days um, it's it's just doesn't exist it's it's just another scam the next thing I wanted to talk about was uh, superheroes uh, I've heard that you should always try to keep things flowing and and uh, uh, go from a segue from one thing to another so I thought I might try this uh, Bigfoot to me always looked like a furry incredible Hulk take away the green and put a lot of hair on him and you've got the incredible Hulk uh, you've got Bigfoot I should say um, talking about the incredible Hulk let's talk about superheroes especially disguises now growing up as a kid there was the old Superman TV show that used to be on TV that um, I used to watch and and then later on in about the oh I'm guessing about the 80s the Christopher Reeve Superman movie started coming out um, uh, yeah and there's been a couple since then Superman versus Batman and and so forth um, what always amazed me was Superman's disguise when he turns into mild man of Clark Kent is a pair of glasses and a suit that's it a pair of glasses not even sunglasses just a pair of glasses and a suit doesn't change his hair doesn't wear black glasses uh his body is the same you know this big beefy guy uh, and yet the investigative reporters at the paper he works at never seem to click that clark kent looks exactly like superman and the fact that never uh, the two of them are never seen together uh doesn't seem to occur to them it's kind of weird in that when you've got a story that's like superman over the years in the comics and that that so much has been brought into you know you hear about i read about all his childhood and life on the on krypton is it planet that he was born on and all that sort of stuff and uh it's it's kind of funny how he goes from being teenage superman to a superboy sorry to superman in one hit there's there aren't too many pictures of him sort of in between those two stages which i mean it's not real life character so why would there be but you think over the years somebody would have maybe brought out a, a comic or something where you know he's 23 or 24 or something a bit older than the the teenager but not quite the 30 to 40 year old or whatever he is that um when he's you know famously flying around as superman um yeah it's kind of weird that isn't it and, and he gets old he doesn't his looks don't change yeah i don't understand how that worked because obviously he's superman's been around for a long time it's you know i'm talking about the comics at the moment and all those years for 50 or 60 years or whatever it had been and he's been superman uh he hasn't aged uh, in fact the people around him haven't aged as far as i can remember um admittedly i haven't read a superman comic for quite a few years now uh i used to love superman but then about oh probably going back about 20 20 years i think think it was 20 years ago uh alan moore brought out the batman year one or something i think it was called and uh oh, the dark knight return sorry that was it yeah and um or was it just a dark night i can't it's too confusing um yeah and that was terrific that was that totally changed my view about my superheroes and it's been batman ever since then uh admittedly batman movies 
they've been okay. Um, I'm probably in a small minority that actually like the um, the Tim Burton movies, uh, Batman and Batman Returns. I think uh, they weren't perfect, but uh, uh, I thought they were just beautiful to look at. I've um, always been a big Tim Burton fan. That's probably why I like them so much. I think, um, and of course the performance of Heath Ledger as uh, the Joker was um, sensational. Uh, Joaquin Phoenix does a good job in the, the Joker uh, last year, I think that came out. Um, but Heath Ledger, to me, will always be the Joker because uh, he was stunning, uh, a great performance. So I'm going to change the mood a little and talk about a movie that I really like. In fact, it's one of my favourite all-time films. Uh, if I was going to do a top ten films ever released, this would certainly be in the top five. It's um, it's a Swedish film, came in, out in 1985. Uh, it's called My Life as a Dog. Uh, it's directed by... Um, it's directed by... Uh, Lars, Lars Hellstrom, who went on to do uh, Chocolat, um, What's Eating Gilbert Grape, uh, what else did he do? He did uh, Salmon Fishing in the Yemen, Yemen. <laughs> uh, he did The Shipping News, Cider House Rules. Uh, he also, believe it or not, uh, spent a lot of his early days doing ABBA videos. Yeah, I think he might have done all of their videos, if I remember correctly. Uh, not a big ABBA fan, but still, that's a pretty good thing to have on your resume for such a huge band. He's done a lot of other movies too. Um, I think the most recent one was uh, The Nutcracker and the Four Realms, which was 2018. Uh, I'm not sure if he's got anything on the go at the moment. Um, I'll have to check that out. But anyway, uh, My Life as a Dog is a fantastic film. Uh, it's it's subtitled, as you'd expect, being a Swedish film. Uh, so there's Igmar, who lives with his older brother and his terminally ill mother. Uh, he has a rough time, but not as bad as Laika. Laika? I can't remember how to say that. I think it was Laika, the Russian dog that was sent into space. Uh, to get that reference, you have to watch the film because it's quite a good little uh, segment there. Uh, anyway, he gets sent away to stay with relations for the summer. And while there, he meets various strange characters, giving him experiences that will affect him for the rest of his life. Uh, it's, um, it's a great film. Uh, I don't want to give anything away, so I won't say anything more than, than that. Uh, I saw this movie when it came out in 1985, um, there was a, oh, there still is a, a cinema in, in Melbourne called, oh gosh, is it the Nova Cinema? I think it's a Nova Cinema. Anyway, doesn't matter. Um, and they specialise in, in overseas films, especially, you know, smaller budget overseas films. Um, I used to go there a lot when it was, uh, before the internet, obviously, uh, so, yeah, I went and saw it. I had no idea what it was. Um, just saw it written up and got a good review. And I thought, oh, well, okay, I'll, I'll go see it with some friends. And um, it was a terrific film. And uh, I, it brought me to tears, I have to admit it. Not many films do. Very few films have brought me to tears. Uh, but there are stages in this that, that do. And, and even when I watch it now, because I have it on DVD, uh, I still get teary when I, there are some scenes that, that are really affecting and um yeah i had big big hope for for lars uh, i hoped he was going to become this 
you know, big independent uh, filmmaker, but uh, uh, I don't know, what do you say? Uh, he made some other good independent films like uh, um, What's Eating Gilbert Great, which was Johnny Depp, I think. Uh, it was a, a very good film too. That was 1992, three? I think it was three. Uh, and uh, yeah, I, I really like that too. Very strange and unusual. But, yeah, it was good. Um, Shipping News was quite good, but that was a more commercial sort of film. Chocolat was was good. I enjoyed that. Sidehouse Rules got big reviews. I didn't like it myself, but, um, you know, you can't like everything. Uh, but recently, uh, since oh, since the Shipping News, I think I don't think I've liked anything that he's put out that I can remember. Salmon fishing in the Yemen. Yemen. I always say Yemen for some reason. Uh, salmon fishing in the Yemen was was pretty good. Um, yeah, that's about it. I, I can't think of anything offhand. I should have done a bit of research to um, uh, so I knew what I was talking about. But I wasn't expecting to ramble on about uh, my life as a dog. But anyway, um, if you can find it, uh, watch it. I think you've probably got more chance these days of, uh, dare I say, downloading it from Pirate Bay or one of those sorts of sites than going into a shop and buying it. This is, this is what happens when a film, you know, a small independent film came out in 1985 and it's Swedish with English subtitles. The chance that it is America, Australia, England, any sort of Western countries that talk English at least, uh, chances of... It just happened to be in a shop for you to buy is probably pretty slim about this stage. Um, and of course, these days with no video libraries, what are your options if you want to see something from back then? You have to go online and uh, maybe find it find it online. Um, I don't know what you do these days, actually, just thinking about it. Uh, I, I assume there are shops, online shops, that specialise in older films. Well, I guess so, I don't know. Um, anyway, it doesn't matter. If you can download it or, or buy it, um, do so, because it is a terrific film. And I know that the, the brief storyline that I gave before doesn't sound all that much, uh, but it's the characters that are, that are in it. And even the character of Igmar and his few friends that he has uh, are just so beautiful and funny and sad and everything and, and so well acted for kids. I think they're well, about 12 or something, the, the kids at the, um, <coughs> in the movie. Uh, it's terrific. It's just... And there are some really funny moments and some really sad moments. Uh, it is an emotional roller coaster, but I totally recommend if you can find it um watch it and i'd certainly get the subtitle version i don't know if they ever released a dubbed version but i suppose if it's available on dvd that someone's released a dubbed version somewhere but i always prefer the to hear the actors voices rather than someone else's voices i i think that gives you more more feeling for the film uh, that's just my view anyway okay we're going to jump from movies to books well, one book in particular, a book called Absolute Beginners. This was a book written by Colin McInnes. Or was it McKinnis? No, it's McInnes. Uh, it's uh, one of three books he wrote back in the 50s in, in England. <clears throat> uh, I think it's the London, uh, 
the London Trilogy, I think it was called. Anyway, uh, this one is, uh, this is the story. It's London, 1958, in the smoky jazz clubs of Soho and the coffee bars of Notting Hill, the young and restless, the absolute beginners, are forging a new carefree lifestyle of sex, drugs and rock and roll. Moving in this midst of this world of mods and rockers, teddy gangs and trads, and snapping every scene with his rust roller flex, is McKind's younger photographer, whose wit, unique wit and honest views remain the definite account of London life in the 1950s and what it meant to be a teenager. In this 20th century cult classic, McKind's captures the spirit of a generation and creates the style bible for anyone interested in mob, mod culture and the changing face of London in the era of the first race riots and lead up to the swinging 60s. That's from Amazon. Obviously I wouldn't write that all myself, I'm not that clever, but um, it's, a, it's a great book and it's, uh, it's been re-released quite a few times. I'm sure it's still in print. Uh, I think uh, um, uh, Paul Weller, for one, uh, listed it as his favourite book. Paul Weller, uh, lead singer of The Jam, Style Cancel, and now just his solo career. Uh, very big in England, not so big in Australia or America, but well-known and probably has a cult following in, in America, I assume. Um, yeah, and look, there was a film made, uh, when was that, about the 90s, I think. Uh, Alan Parker, who did The Commitments, tried to do another musical and he changed the whole story and the flow of the, the story from what it was into a musical version and totally lost the plot. It was a total disaster of a movie. Uh, the only thing that had it going had going for it was David Bowie did the uh, theme song Absolute Beginners Absolute Beginner I think it was an absolute beginner um and uh I loved that song it's one of my favorite Bowie songs but um the movie uh I've sat through it a couple of times once when it first came out um went to the movies felt like walking out after about 10 minutes because I was so disgusted that they'd taken the book that I loved and turned it into that trash. Uh, then uh, years later, probably about 10 years ago now, I guess, uh, I, I watched it again, thought maybe I was a bit harsh because, uh, you know, when you've got a book that you love, you, you see it in certain ways and, you know, <laughs> the David Bowie song was good and, you know, give it another chance. And I think I lasted about 15 minutes before I wanted to slit Alan, pa Alan Parker's throat for totally ruining what should have been a good movie. Uh, I remember when it was coming out and uh, I was so excited because, you know, all I'd heard was they would making a movie about it. And I quite liked the commitments. I thought that was quite a good movie, but I didn't realise that uh, there was going to be another music. And then I heard that Alan Parker was making it as a musical and I kept thinking, how could they make it as a musical? It doesn't. And then I thought, well, there are scenes when he goes to, uh, you know, clubs and stuff like that and there are people singing. So is that going to be where the music is? But, oh, my God. And who was it? Patsy Kensit, I think her name was, who was the star. And um, some guy who, God knows what he what his name is, no idea now who, who played the, the main character and uh, I don't think he he ever made another film after that as far as I know, certainly never as a main lead again with good reason, uh, you couldn't act um, it was so disappointing when you you have your hopes just totally crushed it's, it's so 
distressing and um, you know, I've hoped over the years that somebody would remake it um, because it deserves it deserved to be made as it was written and when you read it you could see a great movie there uh, I don't know why no one's ever uh, gone on to either remake it or make it make it like it should be it's disappointing isn't it? when when a favorite book which lends itself to be made as a movie is made badly and then no one ever tries it again it's a shame really uh, but then forget the movie we're talking about the book and and the book is terrific um, I have to say one thing here that uh, when I was in my early 20s I used to be a mod I used to ride around on a, a Vespa scooter had the green parka with uh, oh it was a jam no oh, no I had the who on the the back and uh, had jam patches on as well who were the Paul Weller band at the time that were um, had revitalized the jam. Uh, sorry, the the mod culture and uh, the Who film Quadrophenia came out around the same time as the Jam were were huge in England and uh, the mod scene just took off again. Uh, not since the 60s had it got so big and the Jam were the band in the the 80s um, for mods. Uh, Paul Weller has always been a mod and he's a mod god as they call him. Um, but uh, uh, yeah, it's it's funny that the mod scene became really huge for a while in England and to lesser extent in Australia, uh, but then it just seemed to die off as, as these things do. Uh, people get a bit older. I remember the jam broke up and Paul Weller started doing the style cancel, which I quite liked. It had some really good songs, of course, but uh, it wasn't. The jam had a lot of uh, political, um, social sort of stuff in their songs and uh the style cancel was a lot more just more pop i suppose you'd call it um i'm sorry if paul Wallach is offended by that but that's why it seemed to me i mean he still looked like a mod and you know dressed like a mod and everything but yeah this this the music was just more pop and fair enough that's his choice but then you know as after a few years of being a mod i suppose people move on as i said the jam broke up uh, there wasn't any really mod bands to take their place and then the Brit pop sort of bands appeared like Oasis who were actually heavily influenced by the jam and did quite a few um, recordings or not recordings but live performances with Paul Waller uh, as his solo career went on um, and Noel Gallagher and um, Liam Gallagher were huge jam fans and uh, that's why a lot of their early albums uh, you saw pictures of uh, scooters and things like that because if they weren't mods they certainly appeared that way so um yeah it, it's uh, it was a great time in the 80s when uh, mods sort of took off and took off here and riding around and the, the i don't know probably only back then there's probably only a couple hundred of us around in in melbourne i don't i know sydney had a mod scene too i don't know how big that was um but uh it was good to sort of feel a bit different to the normal person and i suppose that's how punks felt at the time and how heavy metal fans felt and it's it's, it's all fun um but we didn't have the the big fights that the the mods and rockers had in England, which is what they said. I think they used to ride down to Brighton and and meet up against the the rockers and 
and just have huge brawls and uh, on the seafront down there. So as you, if you see Quadrophenia film, um, which is one of my favourite films as well, speaking of mod things, uh, that was by The Who. Uh, the record was by The Who, and that came out around about, as I said before, around about 78, 80, somewhere around there, uh, or maybe a couple of years before that. But I think the movie came out 78, 80. I think Quadrophenia might have come out 74, I remember correctly. Anyway, don't listen to my facts and figures. Uh, I always rambled on and uh, never let the facts get in the way of good stories. So, um, yeah, so uh, I don't know. Was there ever mods in in America? I don't think I've ever seen any uh, movies or, or anything where they've shown mods or, um, or even, you know, just videos of clubs or anything uh, maybe one of the one of our american listeners if, if if i get any listeners listening to this can let me know if mods were ever a thing in in america because i know they they eventually had punks and um but they also had like a disco scene that was obviously huge in america uh and then there's all the rap and and i mean it's it's just different styles of music there's nothing wrong with any of it uh, i like a lot of rap i like a lot of well i don't like disco uh i won't go that far um but you know like i'd like a lot of a lot of stuff uh, uh I, I like uh, uh jazz i like uh, classical i like all sorts of stuff so uh, i'll be quite happy to sit here and play frank sinatra and then fold up with the sex pistols that's just the way I am. Uh, who knows? Anyway, um, so, yeah, if if you can find... Uh, I, I think Absolute Beginners is the only um, one of the three that are still that is still available. The other two books were Mr. Love and Justice, which I always love the title, and City of Spades, which never liked the title so much, and uh, probably that's why that one's not... Um, uh, available anymore because I don't think that sort of title would go over to L these days. Uh, having said that, neither a book is, uh, you wouldn't call them racist. It was telling about the race st- stories at the time and following characters. Uh, and I think in those two, the person may have been, uh, what do you call it, of. Uh, African appearance. I don't know. I don't know how you say it. When I mean, you can't say uh, African American because this is England. So I suppose it's just African appearance. Yeah. I, I don't mean to be racist, but it's it's not a topic that I've thought about too often, to be honest. About uh, Africans in England. Uh, or maybe I have. I just I just can't think at the moment. Anyway, it doesn't matter. Um, yeah. It's it's a great book, and uh, um, in fact, just talking about it now is getting me itchy to to read it again because I don't think I've read it for probably oh the last time I read I've read all three books. It's probably about ten years ago now because uh, in that time we've had all the Game of Thrones books and so many other great books. I'm a big book lover. Uh, I read. I look. If I had the money, I would buy every paperback or or hardback of every new release that caught my fancy um unfortunately these days you've got to pick and choose what ones you can afford to buy and and then try to get the others cheaper um i've got a friend who's just uh who's starting out uh writing kids books um they're really good they're uh australian of course and they're actually for kids who are learning to not learn to read but who should read more 
that don't like books usually because they they see books as big thick things and you know they want to go back to their playstations and stuff uh you know around about 10 12 that sort of thing it's they're called the fearless four um i think he's in australia he's had three published and i think one is just about to be published in america or might already be published i can't really recall no it has been published the first one has been published in america and uh if anyone's interested in that i'll i can give you the guy's name and uh he, he can give you any details about where you can get they're only small sort of thin sort of books but they're like you go back to things like uh the famous five and you know those sorts of books that well when i was a kid uh so long ago but they were escape stories, you know, like uh, kids against smugglers or not necessarily smugglers, but, you know, those sorts of things. And uh, I've read the first three. I've got the first three and uh, I love them because it takes me back to when I was a kid and and uh, books were just fun to read because you just get lost in the the, uh, the story. Uh, and as I said, they're not they're not long, probably I don't know, 20, 30 pages. Uh, I'm not really sure. I know the American version is a bit sh- a bit smaller um, size-wise than the Australian version, but that's not too different. Pages are about the same, but they're really good. I, I totally recommend them. Uh, you can actually find them if you go to Amazon and just look up the Fearless Four. Uh, if you've got a young boy or something who's... Uh, you'd like to see read more, I'd really recommend getting one of these books and and uh and giving it a read because neil is a good friend of mine and uh he's a terrific writer i'd love him to write a, a full-length book uh unfortunately his health isn't good but I, i'm sure he could do it if he if he had the time but then again uh, he's got plans for like i think 26 or something of these books so it's going to be one of those uh story uh, sort of books that sort of keep coming out with new ones all the time and, and of course they're not they're not that expensive compared to other books um you know you don't have to pay 30 bucks or something like other books um because they're they're a lot smaller of course but uh yeah i look i look forward to the day when they're all out because i'll certainly have them all and i'm sure i will enjoy every one of them and uh myself and my wife have uh been written into one of the stories um uh i think it's a long way off before it gets printed but um neil was nice enough to to do that for my wife and i and i have read that the bit where i'm in i think i'm only in half a page or or something like that but what a thrill to have your name and and know that it's he's using your name you know you as a thank you for being a friend or i suppose that's what you call it but it's such a thrill to have your name in the book and i can't wait for that to come out just a shame i haven't got any kids to to give it to but uh i'm sure i before i die i'll certainly find uh somebody who's uh around the right age to to leave them all to because uh it's going to be a great collection when they're when they're all out but it's it's exciting i mean uh I've had a lot of fun as each book has come out in the last couple of years, and um, and uh, I, I just can't wait for the next one. It's it's exciting to even kids' books. I mean, if if you've got stories that you like, or the the author is writing stuff that you like, doesn't matter if it's kids' books or adults' books or anything. Uh, I'm a big Harry Potter fan. I'm fifty six. 
but I love Harry Potter and I would read them again tomorrow if I didn't have all these other books waiting to be read first. Um, Game of Thrones is another one. You know, books are for whoever. It doesn't. You don't have to be male, female, boy, girl, uh, adult. I, I should say that these books are great for girls as well just because I said boys because um, it's four young boys and the main characters and they're actually based on Neil's son and his son's mates from the, um, back then so uh, just loosely based obviously the stories these kids didn't get up to these sorts of stories of course but um, yeah it's great it's a really good read anyway uh, what was I going to say oh yes uh, uh, yeah, I, I can read anything, and um, I thought I would make a list of 10 books that you should read um, while the coronavirus is on. And, and when I say 10 books, um, obviously I'm going to lo- uh, include like The Lord of the Rings as one book, because there's three, I know, but um, and then there's The Hobbit and all the extra ones. Uh, there's no point in trying to break them up, otherwise I'd, I'd have like two books on there with Game of Thrones and, sorry, Song of Ice and Fire and Lord of the Rings, and that pretty much takes up your top ten, doesn't it? So uh, so there's two anyway, isn't it? It's uh, Song of Ice and Fire, obviously, and Lord of the Rings. Um, I've also include Absolute Beginners, which I've been talking about. Um, the Road by Cormac McCarthy, probably the best um, end-of-world type book I've ever read. Um frustratingly things never no actually I shouldn't say what what I'm about to say so I'll just I'll leave it at that it's a it's a terrific book the film of the book was pretty good um but I don't think it can be ever as good as the book and if you read the book you'll understand what I'm talking about because of the way it's written uh there are no um no I'll just leave it leave it at that uh another book that I'd like to mention is Shepherd's Hut which is a book by an Australian author who's probably my favourite Australian author, Tim Winton. And this is his most recent book. And he's written uh, eight, eight or nine books. I'm not sure. Uh, I've got them all, but they're over there and I can't be bothered getting out of the chair to go look. But anyway, uh, yeah, he's written some classics, absolute classics. Uh, Breath was another one of his. Um, yeah, look, Dirt Music. Uh, yeah, anyway, if you look him up, Tim Winton, he's a fantastic author. And he's probably, in a strange way, he's probably as close as... Uh, the closest Australian author to Cormac McCarthy with his style of writing and uh, his imagination. The way he writes is just terrific. And, yeah, I'd certainly recommend those. Uh, continuing on, uh, Colour of Magic, I have to put that in there because I'm a huge Terry Pratchett fan. Um, unfortunately, Terry passed away a few years back, but um, he did write or co-write Good Omens with Neil Gaiman, who one of my least favourite authors, but... Together they wrote a terrific book in Good Omens. Um, I've tried so hard, so much to, to like Neil Gaiman, but every time I try to read one of his books, I just I get so frustrated and, and stop. But I've got every Terry Pratchett book. Um, it's kind of sad to think that there aren't going to be any more. It, it was, it's been great over the years. I think I, I, I got into Terry Pratchett at the time of his sixth book, and um, I think... I can't remember which one it was now. It's too long ago. But I, I bought one, and um, yeah, I think it was his sixth, maybe his seventh. Anyway, it doesn't matter. Um, and I really liked it. And then before he released any more, I bought all the others and read them. And then since then, every time he's released a new book, I 
bought it. And uh, one of the books, uh, Soul Music, uh, I was lucky enough he did tour here. I was working at the time, but a friend of mine went into um, a book signing in uh, was it Dimmix or Collins or something in the city and got Terry to sign it so I've got one that's signed so I'm extremely happy about that um, it's the only I think it's the only book I've got signed by the author I'm trying to th- quickly think of any others uh, there's a Nick Cave book of lyrics that was already signed in the shop um, from years and years ago when I was way back in probably about 25 26 years old so a long time ago um, yeah, I don't think I've got any others apart from uh, one of the ones that, that Neil wrote for The Feelers 4. I think the first one he signed for me. So uh, I, sh- I should get him to sign the others, shouldn't I? Oh, that doesn't matter anyway. Um, yeah, so I, as I said, I don't think I've got any other signed books. Not too many authors make the journey to Australia to promote their books. Um, and if they do, they just sort of go on chat shows and stuff and... Uh, not too many of them bother doing book signings. Uh, certainly J.K. Rowling has never toured down here to do book signings. Uh, I'm sure she did chat shows and stuff, but um, yeah. Anyway, let's continue on. Uh, Polar Star, which was the uh, uh, about the third or fourth book with starring uh, Katie Renko, who was in Gorky Park, uh, book by uh, the author was... Uh, Martin Cruz Smith, uh, Polar Star is one of my favourite all-time books. I know other people, uh, Bubba and uh, Extraordinaire, Extraordinaire, I never know how to say his name, um, that they both love Polar Star and for good reason. It is, it is the best Arkady Renko um, story and I always hoped that would be making a movie. It would probably be too hard. Uh, maybe it's just not... not uh, commercial enough more than likely for the money they'd have to spend to make it so uh, anyway so yeah that's another great book uh what else have we got uh oh yes uh hitchhiker's guide to the galaxy another series of books by douglas adams this time uh hilariously funny uh it's it, yeah if you haven't read the hitchhiker's guide to the galaxy you, you should it's much funnier than the films or the tv series that were made uh, i like those but the books just so much funnier um sometimes things that are written down they just they just can't be put put into movies or or television series so uh yeah uh, what is there i think there's the five or six now because there was one written by someone else after douglas adams died and they got permission to to write one uh i've forgotten who the guy was but anyway it doesn't matter uh yeah so what have i got i've got uh one two three four five six seven eight that leaves me with two uh right the next one is bury my heart of wounded knee bit of a odd one out in amongst these books this is obviously not a fun happy story this is a the true story of the disaster that was the uh, American uh, soldiers uh, killing so many Indians and Indian families and stuff at Wound, Wounded Knee, Wounded Knee Massacre, I suppose it's called. Um, but this book by D. Brown, it is just an amazing read, and uh, I think everybody should read it at some stage, especially Americans. Um, yeah, I'd, I'd recommend reading it. it. It's not one of these books where. Um, you know, you, 
you read it and you think, oh, those guys are the bad guys. We're going to hate them all the way through. It's, it's not like that at all. But it tells the story of what happened. And, um, you know, there are a lot of a lot of reasons for everything. And everything is explored in the book. But it's a, it's a great book. And uh, I read it years and years ago. And I've been a big Native American Indian fan ever since. Uh, I've got some uh, American Indian tattoos on me. Um, my first tattoo was a, a, a Indian chief on my top of my left arm, uh, which was a thrill to get. And I've got a c- couple of bands and other other things as well. So yeah, I, look, if I had the money, I, I would buy a lot of um, Native American books and videos and music and stuff like that. So uh, yeah. Uh, and my last book I want to mention is called "Let the Right One In," which is itself was. Um, a line from a Smith song, the English band The Smiths, um, back in the 80s, I think. And um, yeah, it's it was uh, it's a terrific book. Uh, there was two films made of it. There was Let the Right One In, which was the um, uh, the Swedish was it Swedish? Hang on, I better check. Yeah, Swedish um, book and Swedish film. And uh, then that was 2008, and then a few years later, uh, America, somebody in America remade it. It was just called Let Me In. It was pretty good, but I thought the original movie was much better. The, uh, the book is much better. Uh, there is so much that's included in the book that, that never made it into the film. Obviously, they just don't have the time, um, but uh, I'd certainly recommend it. It's by... Uh, Hang on, I've forgotten his name. Now I know I'm going to get this wrong, but I'll have a go anyway. John Arvid Lindquist. Well, it's something like that. It's John, then A-J-V-I-D-E Lindquist. Quist, Q-V-I-S-T at the end of Lindquist. Um, It's actually one of the best books I've ever read. Uh, I've read it a few times and I still am astounded by it. Uh, we have got uh, all these other books he's written since. A lot of them are, well, not a lot. There's about probably another seven books since. Uh, been pretty good, but none have, have lived up to this. Um, I suppose, it, to me, it seems like this book, I think it was his first, and um, he spent a lot of time on this, a lot of effort, rewrote it, obviously, lots of times got a lot in and it's fantastic and then the other books he's set them up well but hasn't had the the extra uh writing that this book has i'd say just my guess i I could be wrong uh you know a lot more thought went into this one than the ones that he's written since but there's still there's some more most of his other books are still really good but this one was just so good uh let the right one in I'm not sure in America whether it's it's called Let Me In after the movie. Um, you know, might have been rebadged as Let Me In. I'm not sure. But uh, the, the book itself, I'm sure, would have the same material as Let the Right One In. And, uh, yeah, I, I'd certainly... Well, they're the, the books I'd recommend you get. Um, I think uh, if I do another rambling podcast, uh, I will talk about my top 10 movies, uh, top 10 TV shows, uh, maybe my top 10 records as well. I might see how we go. If there's anything you want me to cover, just give me a, a buzz at uh, bagger2007 at hotmail.com. That's bagger, B-A-G-G-A, 2007 
at hotmail.com. Um, and let me know your, your list of best 10 books. Uh, what else did I do? Um, oh, yeah, I talked about movies and stuff. You know, I, I talked about uh, uh, My Life as a Dog and uh, Absolute Beginner's Book. Yeah, so, yeah, let me know what you think. Um, and if you're interested in, in me doing another one of these podcasts, uh, I guess I'll see if, if anyone's interested and then I'll do another one. If, if they are, if nobody listens to it, then I won't bother. So we'll see how we go anyway. Anyway, uh, I'd just like to say a big hello to Axel, uh, Bubba and Matt Murdoch and Catfish and DJ Tim Hines and anyone else I, that I've missed out. I'm sorry, I, I can't get to everybody, I suppose. Um, but uh, they've, they've always been uh, fantastic podcasters and, and my idols. And uh, um, I've been lucky enough to work with um, Bubba. Um, we did the, the Dublin Murders series together. That was great fun. Uh, and, and hopefully, I'll, eventually, I'll get to work with some of the other guys as well. We'll see how we go. But anyway, that's, that's no big drama. It's been, uh, you know, it's been great rambling on. Uh, and, well, I hope somebody likes it. And um, I'll catch you next time. <laughs>